Blog Talk Radio. listening from the graves. This is Beyond the Gate Radio, our Sunday, January 27th edition of 2013. Hopefully it'll be a great year. I am your host, David M. Baker. Welcome. And I'd like to introduce you to my lovely co-host, Sherelle. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the show. I'm excited tonight. How are you doing tonight, David? I'm doing really good. How you doing? I'm doing fine. Great to be here tonight. Hi. I'd like to also thank all the people that are listening in chat and all the people that will be listening later on and also the people that uh, are at work, unfortunately, tonight, my friends that are listening online. Thank you so much for being here with us. Yes, and uh, thanks for that strong coffee, Sherelle. It's, my hair is... Standing up on end, but it's gotten me going. <laughs> Good stuff. Yeah, so tonight we're going to have a couple of our, not only of our great friends, but they also are radio hosts and professional professionals uh, in the paranormal field. They're both founders of their own paranormal uh, societies and groups. We like to call them parapsychologists. Uh, Sharon Kincaid is founder of Southern Atlantic Paranormal. And Donna Stewart is founder of PSI. She's also host and producer of her own radio show, Sci-Fi Radio, of which I am a guest every third Sunday. And Sharon Kincaid is co-host there as well. What a coincidence. What a small world. But, hey, two of the greatest people you can know, it's a, a real pleasure to have him on the show tonight with us. And, you know, I know most of you are used to calling in for a reading. You may still call in, not for a reading, but if you have any questions in the field of parapsychology, ghost investigations, or whatever may come up, please feel free to call in. So, without further ado, I'd like to first bring in Sharon. Are you there, Sharon? Yes. How are you doing, David and Cheryl? Oh, we're doing great. Great. How are you doing? I am doing fabulous. There is no complaints in my world at all today. That's wonderful. Yeah, so how is the weather out there? Um, It's kind of chilly, which is kind of weird for us because, you know, we are in the south. But um, we've been getting the, I guess, the Arctic blast has been coming down. And one day we're, we're in the 30s and the 20s, and the next day we're in the 70s and the 80s. So it's kind of crazy going on. Oh, yeah, I bet. And uh, we also have Donna with us tonight. 
Hello, Donna. Hi, David. How are you? I'm good, thanks to you. <laughs> well, how's it feel to be? How's it feel for you guys to be on the other end of the line this time? It it feels weird, doesn't it, Sharon? It does, but it's nice. Yeah, it is nice, and it's David and Sherelle, and we get to listen to Sherelle talk. For <laughs> change, aha! <laughs> Instead of just laughing in the back. <laughs> I have a feeling there's going to be some of that going on tonight, too. Well, that's great. Um, well, Sharon, could you tell us a little bit about yourself first? Um, well, as you mentioned, I am the founder of Southern Atlantic Paranormal. Uh, we are based out of here in Lexington, South Carolina. Our group um, has, I guess, officially, you can say, been together since um, 2000. Um, my husband and I have been investigating longer than that. Um, I am the founder also of a uh, nonprofit organization called Care Caring for Our Truth, where we collect um, items to be able to send to our troops that are across seas, and we try to send as many care packages as we can, um, so that way they know that they're not forgotten and that we still care for them. I'm also in close with lovely Donna Stewart with Sci-Fi Radio. I first came on her show as a guest, and I've been co-hosting with her ever since. Amazing. Very good. And we already know about you, Donna, but some of the listeners may not. Who knows? Go for it. <laughs> uh, well, kind of pretty much um, Sharon's story with a different name. I founded uh, PSI of Oregon with uh, my friend Laura Shear about, gosh, eight years ago. Um and like Sharon, we've been investigating for decades, literally, back when it was a, a, a shoebox tape recorder, right, Sharon? That's right. And uh, from that, we we have formed a 501c3 nonprofit called Southern Oregon Project Hope. Um, it's it's the only homeless outreach in our area, and we felt it was needed because there are resources here, but the homeless, um, for the most part, don't have TV, they don't have radio, and they don't have newspapers. So we reach out to them when we give them blankets, sleeping bags, tents, food, coats, whatever they need, and let them know where they can go for additional help. So that that between PSI and SOAP, that, that keeps me pretty busy most days. <laughs> Oh yeah, and it's for you know a great cause uh, yeah. these days. You know you're both doing a lot. Uh, you know you're helping people by the radio broadcasts. You're helping people by doing investigations and gathering knowledge and information and study. And you're also helping people through these wonderful causes too. You know, uh, there's not many people. It seems like. There is a handful of wealthy people on the earth that do help uh, from their hearts. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of them help because it's a good deduction, and a lot of them just don't pay attention. It's darn shamed. It, it is. You know, but uh, so you're helping uh, the homeless in the United States, and sharing your your uh, with the organization you called uh, Paratroops. Paracaring Paratroops. Paracaring for our troops, and exactly what is that again now? Uh, we I collect, mean, I know, but um, tell the listeners. <laughs> yeah, we collect different items that, you know, normally items that we take for granted, like toothpaste or lotions or uh, puzzle books or movies or just regular books, um, trail mixes, um, homemade scarves, anything that, you know, we have readily available here but isn't always available for our troops. Because there are times that, you know, they're they're waiting on their shipment to get here, let's say, a deodorant. And, you know, but they need medical supplies. So that deodorant supply gets put on hold and medical supplies get sent instead. So it may be another three to four months before they get deodorant. So we try to, we work with Operation Gratitude out of California and we make care packages to send to them. And they send to them, you know, every day they're sending thousands of them out. So that way they know that, like I said, that, we haven't forgotten them, and that we still love them, love them, and we still support everything that they're doing for us. Is there a website that people can uh, go to and perhaps help if they want to? 
Um, I have not set up a website as far as parent caring for our troops, but it is um, a part of my page on um, Facebook, my personal page. It's um, Karen Kincaid on Facebook, and there's a link on there there where you can, you know, send us a message if you have things you want to send. You know, I can tell you where to set up. You know, we've got um, storage buildings here that we have that we're filling up as, as fast as we can get them and sending out packages every day. Okay, that's that's great. So you heard it, everybody. Sharon Kincaid on Facebook, and Donna, how about your website for that? Um, our website is southernoregonprojecthope.org. Um, we have a Facebook page and a website, and yeah, I just I was just looking at Sharon's Facebook page, and she she's doing some wonderful things for these people who are 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 defending us. Basically, they're putting their lives on the line for us, and and she has 29 likes. So I I, I want to see a couple zeros on the end of that. <laughs> That's true. That's good. That'd be nice. Yes. After yes. all, they're responsible for us having the opportunity to do what we're doing right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. Of course, I'm ex-military myself. I did my time in the military and overseas, and I'm still grateful how you know people are supporting the military in different mm-hmm. ways. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of them. There's a, a few websites, one that I was looking at not long ago, where you can go through any branch of the military, and it really doesn't matter to me, but you can pick out specific people and send them, you know, you know, just like, personal things that they would like to have. But I, I want to say that, you know, what Sharon is doing and the things that Sharon's group is sending out is uh, on a lot of their wish lists. So um, she, she's covering a, a broad range of people who, who really, really need and appreciate the things she's sending over there. And we also, if there are individuals, you know, if, if you have family members that are over there, give us their name, give us their, their address, and we will make sure that they personally get a box. Because it's not just I, we're sending I, them over and not everybody gets one. If there's somebody that definitely needs one, because I can tell you yesterday was a really hard day for me. My next-door neighbor, um, AJ, um, he uh, flies Apaches with the Air National Guard. And um, yesterday was his deployment day. We all went up there and uh, watched them fly out, and it, it, it was uh, really hard. He's going to be gone for over a year, possibly up to two years. So, you know, I don't want him to think that we forgot about him. So I've got right. all the names right. of everyone that's in his company that is going here. And I'm specifically making sure that every single one of them get a care package. And, you know, right. I offer that that's to awesome. everybody out there. And that is so awesome. I will get you that website, Sharon, and let you take a look at it. Yeah, please. That would be that would be really, really yeah. that. That's so awesome because, it's, I mean, you know, you always hear about the stories about how, oh, you know, everyone is helping. And then then when they come home, a lot of times, you know, that's what was going on. Uh, David and I were talking about this uh, a few days ago uh, because I have – I decided to record Rambo 1, 2, and 3. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, just that they come home and they're forgotten about too, mm-hmm. you know. You think that, oh, you go into the military and then you'll be taken care of for the rest of your life, and that's not true. It's not. And a lot of times, you know, they forget that you're – it's not that they forget that you're over there. They're sending you a check. They think that's good enough. But what it is is that, you know, you have a lot of other needs that need to be, you know, just our basic things. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I think that's awesome. That's awesome. Yes. Yeah. And, you know – the military, I, I can't tell you how many military veterans that we come across and we're out handing out supplies to the homeless. You know, and it, it's so easy for people to look away and pretend, you know, and when they do that, when they look away and, and can't even offer a smile, they're they're making these people invisible. And, and no, no human being deserves that. So uh, the amount of military, even disabled military veterans that we've come across is astounding, astounding. And it's sad because you know that, and I hate to say this, but it's true because I work in a government VA hospital. I can verify that they are forgotten. They Mm -hmm. served. They had no choice. A lot of them that were Vietnam vets, they had no choice. They were made to go and serve. And when they came back, we forgot them. We forgot everything that they did. 
and all the freedoms that they have given for us. And it's just it's so devastating to think that, you know, someone's son or daughter is over there and may not come back. Yes. And, you know, and it's a hard, harsh reality where if they come back, they may not be whole. But that doesn't change who mm-hmm. they are and what they stood for. Nope. And, you know, I think everyone, you know, anything, you know, a trail mix, anything to help, you know, whether it's for, mm-hmm. for my cause or whether it's for Donna's cause, making sure that people are out there with clothing and, you know, that they're they're warm and that they have food. Because it's our responsibility as human beings to give back to others. Yes. And we, you know, if we have if we have anything we should at least try to give back to those who don't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree there. Often under um, cases of great hardship, especially they are out in the uh, combat field and they can't get to the basic exchange if they are sending large amounts of money home to their family. Right. It leaves them with a very limited budget. And they need basic necessities to feel human so they can operate over there and, you know, do their jobs. I don't think it's too much to ask for people to give, you know, even if it's toothbrush and toothpaste or, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know, but some uh, trail mix, like you said, is an excellent suggestion and things of that nature. I think that's uh, pretty good. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't realize until I was looking at that website um, where you can just look through people, men, women, um, all ages, uh, that that they don't really have the facility where they're staying to cook. So everything has to be kind of, you know, like you said, trail mix, things like that. Yes. So, yeah, that that was something that I didn't know and, and, you know, pretty valuable information when I start putting things together to send to Sharon. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we appreciate everything, I'm telling you. And you know, like I said, where I've got the I've got the opportunity to work with these vets, you know, and I talk to them and I ask them how how was it? You know, D- did you feel that you were lost? Did you feel that no one cared about you? And you know, over half of them that went they didn't have a girlfriend. They had maybe a mom and a dad and they occasionally got a letter, but a lot of them didn't even get a letter from home. It was almost like yeah. Their friends and family forgot that they were even gone. And I was like, how horrible would that be to be in a company and, you know, 30 of, of your 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 family that's there had received a letter from home and you received yes. nothing? Yes. Um, there, that's the other thing uh, David and I were talking about just a couple of days ago. He uh, did uh, Army and Marines. And even though he had family, he never received the letter. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know how it feels. And, you know, until I got used to it in the beginning when everybody's getting something, you know, and I didn't get anything. I just, uh, my little puppy eyes looked down, turned away, and walked away. That's pretty much how it was, you know, and you're young. Wow. The first time That's... away from home alone, it's... Yes. Yeah, you know, but... My family was kind of like a broken family at the time anyway, so. Yeah. And, you know, and the, the cool thing, what I found about that website is that they give you their, their actual physical addresses. And we seem to have forgotten. I remember back in the day when I had pen pals all over the world, and it was fun to sit down and write a letter. Now my hand would probably cramp up because I'm so used to the computer. But, you know, sit True. down and, and write a letter to somebody, it, it takes a half hour of your time. It's personal, you know, give them something to look forward to, like David said, for those who don't get mail. That's right. And, you know, you mentioned about you had my cramp up from writing, or now it could be on the computer. Mm-hmm. And yeah. now it's getting to where you can just talk to the computer, write the letter. So one of these days I get to the point, computer, Write a nice letter to my friend in Afghanistan, please. Right. Go throw in some good stuff, and then you walk away. Next thing you know, the person gets something in the mail. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it would not surprise me. <laughs> That's not on right now? <laughs> what? Which I've been meaning to ask you, Donna, did you give that idea any thought about that? Uh, Sherelle told me to use a program for writing my book on a computer called Dragon. I misstated what it was last time. Uh 
and you just turn it on. It gets used to your language, your voice inflections and accents and whatever. And after you use it a little bit, you know, things get better. But you can talk to that, and then it writes your whatever it is program right. you have opened up. So if you would get up, either maybe an iPad, a laptop or something, install that program in, and uh, have asked Spirit on an investigation to say something, and if that program picked it up through the recorder, it would type words out on the screen that you can see. That yeah. was my idea for a new invention. I, I think that would be amazing. I mean, not only to be able to hear an EVP, but to physically see it come up on a screen in writing. I think that would be amazing. That would be cool. Yeah. Yes. I think I need to make some money. I better get to work on that real quick. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, I'm writing my second book and get ready to do my third. Uh, our good friend Sandra Wells, she's you know, releasing another book now too. So my question is, <laughs> Sharon, <laughs> both of you guys, Donna, <laughs> hello. Have you got hello? any stories to tell about your adventures and the amazing world of the paranormal? You go first, Sharon. Oh, I've got so many to tell. Um, one of my favorites, oh. all-time favorites, actually, would involve Donna. And um, I got the I opportunity say, to, do it. <laughs> to come to Coos Bay and, uh, <laughs> and do investigating with Donna. And we were at one of their training facilities that they they go to very often and, and help train, you know, new investigators and everything. And Donna and I were, were walking, and um, she had, um, oh, gosh, what was it called? What was that box called, huh. Donna? Oh, the PX. Yes, yeah, she had the PX in her hand. And, you know, we were just talking amongst ourselves. Well, all of a sudden the, the, the PX started talking back to us, and Donna, I kid you not, people, she jumped probably about <laughs> 20 feet in the air, <laughs> was throwing the box at me, and wow. she was ready to roll. <laughs> I, w- I was, yeah. I threw it at you, I think, didn't I? Thank God you called me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's funny. <laughs> now, is the PX box one of those things when you turn it on? It's going like, get out of here. One of those. Yeah, I, I would have expected more that. Of a ghost box. Yeah, yeah. The PX um, Bill Chapel uh, makes specific equipment for um, paranormal research, and it's a little box that you you turn on. It has a a, a dictionary of words, um, and it also it also has a you know not a dictionary, whatever it's called. I don't oh, remember, <laughs> but it. The the theory behind it is that it takes the energy from the air and forms a word out of it. And what Sharon is referring to is we had walked for probably a good 30 minutes, Sharon, and not a word, not a peep, nothing out of that little box until we rounded a corner where I, I think I was telling Sharon about the, the apparitions we had seen on that corner. And all of a sudden, that box blurts something out, and I swear to God, it was ten times louder than it was supposed to be. So it went flying. Sharon caught it. I started to run up the hill, and yeah. <laughs> uh, I wish that was called on film. That'd be funny. <laughs> you know, when you went to an area where apparitions have been seen, and you start getting stuff that. Reminds me of the same thing. Uh, as a medium, I can go to let's say Alcatraz. Oh yeah, there's lots of spirits here, right? But nobody's talking to me. When I get to the area where the barber shop was, then I start getting action. So is it the same way with you? Though a place may have paranormal activity, uh, usually you, you're getting stuff to where perhaps an apparition is being seen or a shadow, or whatever. And is that because you think that spirit likes to just hang out in that area instead of greet you when you come to the door, or the personality depends on what the spirit does, or what? I, I think that you know it would it depends on the personality. I know 
Yeah, I, I, you know, we've been on investigations where I've seen apparitions, you know, the minute I've walked through the door. And we, we've we been on investigations where, you know, we, we've seen very happy apparitions waving goodbye to us. So. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, a lot of people think that, w- that when we talk about apparitions, and I know Sharon feels the same way that we're talking about, like what you see in the movies, this misty, ghosty thing, and and that ha- that really hasn't been my experience. When when I have seen, in fact, the first one I saw, uh, and I've seen my mother, they were as clear as you and I. In fact, on a, an investigation, I turned around and saw a previous owner. I found out later when I saw his picture that he was the previous owner um, and had passed away sitting at the table. And I could tell you the color of his flannel shirt. I could see the weather lines, you know, from being in the sun on his hands, his wedding ring. Um, I, I could tell you details about this man. He was so clear. Yes, that's true. They they come in, in, in many forms, mm-hmm. I, I suppose, depending on their experience and their energy. I read a story, I think, either in one of Hans Holger's books or somebody's, where this couple was in this, you know, little old western tourist town somewhere in the old, real old uh, hotel, and they were downstairs in a restaurant, and somebody came and took their order. Then later on, somebody shows up to say, ask them, can I take your order? No, the gentleman did, and the lady would say, what gentleman? And she said, the gentleman in the stovepipe pap, you know, in the period outfit. And she said, no, nobody works here like that. Well, the guy came and took our order, you know. So, and they said that he looked just like you, you know, solid like you. Yeah. And that's why I, I, I always get a kick out of people who say, you know, I don't believe in ghosts because I've never seen one. Well, how do you know you've never seen one? Because in my experience, they don't look any different from, you know, the people standing next to me. I agree. I've seen them in in all different forms Mm -hmm. myself. Now, if somebody's going into a place that's reported to be haunted, uh, aren't, well, you know, there's a lot of common things that could explain the haunting. It could be creaky boards, the wind, pipes, and things of that nature. So, ruling that out, I think maybe the Probably the most hauntings are magnetic hauntings, and the least amount are interactive. Do you find that true? Um, I I find, in my experience, my personal experience, and maybe it's just the area that I'm in, that most of them are interactive and and intelligent, and and you know respond to direct questions and and answer specific questions, or you know if, if you ask them to do something, they do something specific. But, I mean, I, I'm sure I have encountered, you know, like the magnetic residual. Um, I think that's the more rare. I was just getting your opinion on that. And yeah. It's the same thing that it do, does occur. Um, now, as far as, I know, you know, I just like to bring this up, the dark side of the paranormal. Uh-huh. There's a couple of possibilities. One is wait, wait, hold on a second, David. Let me set the mood. <laughs> okay. I love Cheryl. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm glad I didn't spit out my coffee. <laughs> okay, we're ready. Do you experience like a larger percentage of normal? just people that passed over that are hanging around because they don't want to leave their place versus somebody that was, you know, a criminal or something, you know, and, and is hanging around versus maybe somebody had practiced the black arts there or maybe there were some murders which attracted spirit parasites or demonic entities, you know, yeah. Which is so the darkest is the most rarest, and the common is the most common, in other words, normal ghosts, you know, and then the uh jerk ghosts, and then the scary ones mhm I've been lucky i I haven't had anything that I would deem either you know malevolent or demonic, but 
well, except for a few people, but <laughs> they are alive. But um, sh- I know Sharon has. Sharon Sharon's quite up on demonology, and, and you've had quite a few um, cases where you've kind of touched on that. Yeah. Well, the thing is, and uh, what a lot of people don't realize, is if you're a mean, nasty-ass person, excuse my language, when you're alive, you're going to be just as mean and nasty when you're dead. And there's so Mm -hmm. many people out there that seem to think because they've encountered a mean and nasty person that they're dealing with a demonic case. If you put ten of these cases together, you may have one that there's a good possibility that it's a demonic case that you're Mm -hmm. dealing with. Nine times out of ten, it's not. Okay, and how could somebody go into an area and tell the difference between just, you know, a nasty human spirit and an evil inhuman spirit? Um, for an average Joe person, it's kind of, I think it's kind of hard. I mean, there's like a list of criteria that people that study demonology have to go by um, as to what we consider, okay, well, this is a red flag, this is a red flag, this is a red flag. Um, a lot of us, mm-hmm. a lot of times, you know, you can go into a place and you can feel the oppression in there. You can feel that there is just a mean Mr. Nasty in here and he needs to be dealt with. Um, a lot of our clients that, that have had a demonic entity involved in, in their hauntings that were going on with their homes have other characteristics that go along with it. Um, complete, especially somebody who is on the verge or is already possessed by something that is going on in their home. Um, they have a complete 180 of their attitude. I mean, they may have been a nice, happy-go-lucky, nobody-can-ever-get-me-down person to the meanest, deceptive individual that you have ever come across in your life. Um, you can, they, there's strange odors, um, mostly, you know, sulfur, um, feces, um, rotten egg smells. There is loud banging and, and scratching and pounding on the walls, ceiling and floors. There is um, destruction of any kind of religious type of symbol, whether it be a cross, a Bible, or anything like that. And a lot, of, what a lot of people don't realize also is that, especially if the demonic entity itself is trying to possess an individual, it will keep quiet. It will keep to the point where mm-hmm. only that individual knows what's going on, because the longer that it can keep its presence hidden the more success it's going to have of taking control of your body. Because if somebody finds out about it, then they contact people out there like me or David or, you know, John Zappas or, or people that can come in and fight that fight. And so as long as they can keep it quiet, they're good to go. So, you know, unless somebody, I, I feel, unless somebody is trained and knows how to deal with these cases, or if you're an individual paranormal investigator that you may think that this is what's going on, then you need to contact somebody who knows what they're doing to deal with it. Because this mm-hmm. is not something mm-hmm. for That's anybody true. at the light of heart to have to deal with. I agree. I, like we were talking earlier, I, I've been doing this for, for 30 years. And, you know, I if I question, if I have a question, you know, if I'm not sure that something may or may not be demonic, I'll call Sharon. You know, I, I, I'm I never going to know everything, and I'm not afraid to reach out to people who can help in areas that, that I know I'm not capable of, of handling. Yeah, even myself, as as mm-hmm. a medium, I've helped, you know, spirits cross over to the light and done many things, you know, not only with spirits in the light, but also earthbound ghosts. Right. But demons I don't mess with because, you know, mm-hmm. I understand all the mechanics there, you know, quite a bit about them, how to get rid of them and all of that. But that's not my calling. That's not what I do. Right. And if a person does that, it really you really have to have strong faith. It has to be in your heart, and you have to have the drive for it. I don't go there. If I run into anything like that, I uh, refer them to somebody also. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. common sense. It's just too dangerous to mess with that, which brings me to the other question. Have either of you had any, um, or any of your team members, had any um, ghosts follow you home from an investigation? 
Always. Yeah. <laughs> Always. Some of them, yeah, some of them we keep and some of them we, you know, you, and and they're, you just say it's time for you to go, but we're really careful. We try to be really careful, and I know Sharon does too, that if we're on an investigation, if we're out training, before we leave, we say, you have to stay here. We'll come back and visit, but we're going home, and you have to stay here. Usually it works. Most of the time it works. Every once in a while we get, you know, someone who's a little more stubborn or mischievous and and quite honestly everything that that's followed me home I kind of like so <laughs> well not to the point to where uh you're actually significant other honey I just poured my coffee did you drink my coffee too right. no not the same. <laughs> <laughs> let's hope not <laughs> right and he knows better to mess with my coffee which brings me to the next subject about poultry guys now, you know, it's believed that uh, poltergeist activity, which is German for noisy ghost, yeah. has been studied quite extensively since it's one of the more interesting phenomena in the world of parapsychology. And it's found that a great deal of those causes are made by perhaps a young adolescent person where their uh, PK energy is going off the scale. Right. PK means psychokinesis, and you know it, they get over it after a while. But you know, different objects in the home fly around and so forth and so on. But in, in the case where there's people, they've been in the home, and there's nobody there that's young or has anything with their physiology that's causing that. You know, and it seems to react sometimes to what people do. It responds to certain things. You know, and maybe it'll throw a dish at somebody or open up all the cabinets, stack the chairs, a, ca- a candle go floating mm-hmm. across the room and whatnot. <laughs> so have you encountered that part? And I'm sure you have in some of your investigations. Um, I, I'm pretty sure we have. It, it's really the only rational explanation to what um, one family was experiencing. And the, and the interesting thing about the poltergeist activity, like you said, it is exactly what you said. It's, it's usually adolescents and, and they're transferring this energy into something else, something that they're creating. And and correct me if I'm wrong, Sharon, but if, if this energy is fed into so much, it can begin to take on a personality and, and you know, so to speak, a life of its own. Am I right? Yeah, I, I agree with that. And like you yeah. said, even though it's more associated with adolescence because of all the energy and stuff that's in adolescence, who's to say that, you know, there aren't cases that are out there that these things still occur without an adolescent's presence? You know, all they, they mm-hmm. want energy. You know, it's like any kind of uh, ghost or, or spirit or, in, or entity, they need energy to be able to perform or to do things so that we know that they're there. So, you know... I haven't never encountered a poltergeist myself, um, but, you know, I would like to. <laughs> well, needless to say, I have many times, and, you know, I've not, you know, not commonly as I've encountered others, but I've seen some, you know, pretty incredible things. And, you know, it's rare. It doesn't happen that often, but when you see it, you go like, wow, you know. Yeah, and it shows you how how powerful the mind is. I know in Canada they did a a lab experiment, and this was an extremely controlled environment, and they created this this person that they were going to uh, deem a ghost. I can't remember the name that they used, but they actually, when they would would try to talk to the ghost, ask it to move the table, the table would move, or they would hear knocks, and just through the power of their mind they gave life to this person that they created on paper. It was re- it's a really interesting case. Yes, it sounds very interesting. Now, it, when you go on investigations here, I go again, even though you go to forts, historical sites, could be a, a field, Indian burial ground, uh, a large home or a small home or a cemetery. Mm-hmm. Are cemeteries... Any more haunted, if at all, compared to dwellings? I think, and, and only judge, judging from the places that we've been, and, and I, I can't figure out why um, 
you know, for the longest time why a cemetery would be haunted. You know, you, you, you're laid to rest there and then your spirit, you know, moves on. Maybe they hang around, maybe they don't. But I think that a cemetery is such an emotional place. There's so much emotion there and emotion is the embodiment of energy. So I, to me, sometimes I think they may be more haunted, not necessarily, you know, not necessarily even by the people who are, are resting there, but, I mean, I, we've all been to funerals, and you know how emotional it is and, and how, you know, that energy is just exuded and scattered. And, and I think that's what helps manifest paranormal activity in a cemetery. I've also heard that there are some people that when they die, they don't go to the light because they think that because of their religious belief that they're supposed to wait for the rapture. So they're just sitting in the cemetery so they can be near their body should that happen. And, you know, other reasons too. Who knows right. why spirits go to cemeteries. But maybe if they thought they were cool in life, they are in death. Or yeah. maybe it's in the Indian tribe or something like that. Maybe some of them... Uh, they know about the spirit world. Maybe they volunteer when they die to stay to guard mm-hmm. a burial ground or something. Could be any number of reasons, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's weird. Like in, in, with my parents, I know that my dad is still around. I see him, and and I'm big on smell, so I I know you know his smell and when he's around. My mom, I have heard once, and I have seen very clearly once. Um, in, in the 11 years that she's been gone. Those were, you know, just the two times. My dad's he's as mischievous as ever. Uh, he's there a lot. But I think with my mom, she, she was such a giving, such a, a good, good person that I think she just crossed over, you know, where she wasn't in pain anymore, where she could walk and, you know, things like that. But my dad's stubborn, you know. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah. That's funny. Now, when you, I'll, I'll start with you this time, Donna. When you first started doing this, and you were really getting into the investigating, do, mm-hmm. did you have like a, a dozen people and cameras and gadgets and stuff? You know, all this equipment, all these boxes you unloaded from van. What was your early investigations like? You know, how many? Uh, what did you have? If you don't mind me asking. This and was, compared to now. Yeah. Then I was uh, I was in my teens, um, so I had you remember those big Panasonic shoebox recorders where you got to push two buttons to record. Yes, you know yes. I ha- I had that, and I would record songs off the radio. I think we all you know, and uh, that's when I stumbled upon EVPs, and so I was hooked. So I, I had that. I had you know those little disposable one ten cameras or the little. The long film, I don't even know what oh, it was. Oh, right. I remember. It was 110. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and back then, there was nobody. There was no one you could talk to. I mean, we're talking 80s. There there was nobody. Um, no books, no TV. You couldn't just, like, you know, walk up to your friends and say, I, I, I want to go look for ghosts. Do you want to go? You know, it was, it, it, it was kind of, I guess, a taboo thing. So in that sense, I'm glad that you know, paranormal reality TV did come out and make what we do more socially acceptable. So back then I was using that big old recorder I'd lug around and this little bitty camera that that fit in my jeans pocket. And now we have uh, quite a few IR cameras, IR illuminators, um, a few EMF meters. We have a full spectrum camera, a lot of digital cameras, uh, the PX, we have the ghost box, we have... uh, Oh gosh, I you know I, I voice recorders of course because with me I still and I know Sharon is too I'm still very old school I prefer my voice recorder um, and a camera and sometimes just my voice recorder because that's what I'm most comfortable doing is EVPs. Okay, that's very interesting. That's pretty good. That it, is pretty good. And also personal experiences that you guys would get um, more. You know that when you walk into a, a place and you get that instant feeling, mm-hmm. do do you walk in turning on your equipment or you walk in and your equipment is still on? You know, do you turn it on in the car and then walk in? Because I, I find a couple of times 
well, I was watching TV and it seems like some of the investigation groups would get a little something as they're walking yes. into the building or starting the, just even starting setting up. Yes, it happens a lot. Yeah, we we try to remember the minute we, we grab that door handle, get out of the car, everything goes on. I mean, everything that we don't have to set up, you know, like the voice recorders and, and things like that. Wow. Well, and also when you're doing um, your interview with your client, if you're able to do that over like a speakerphone mm-hmm. and record, if there's something going on there, it's going to make its presence known, whether you're via phone or, you know, just getting out of the car or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. Sharon, do you guys typically have clients that want to accompany you during the investigation, or do they would they be like me and wait in the car and then have you come and let us know it what depends. happened? It really depends on um, the individual. You know, if they are comfortable with um, participating in the investigation, I'm absolutely for that because if mm-hmm. this if there's one member of their family that all the activities going going to and all the activities occurring with, then most definitely they need to be there, you know, because yeah. this vicinity this has made that connection. If I find, though, that they are more of an issue to be in there, they're going to interfere with what's mm-hmm. going on in the investigation, then I very politely ask them, you know, okay, um, is there any place you can go for, like, at least an hour? That gives us some time to do what we need to do and, mm-hmm. and try to get stuff done. Now, Sharon, where exactly is it, what area of the country do you live in? I live in South Carolina. And is there any areas where there was no activity during the Civil War? And if so, is there any haunted mansions that were used as hospitals or battlegrounds or anything that you may have investigated there? Absolutely. South Carolina is just, it's just like a fruit bowl of paranormal activity. But one thing that people need to realize when they're coming to the South is we're a strong Bible Belt state. Um, Paranormal and spirits and ghosts and things like that is very taboo. It is not something that is is discussed, nor is it something that is watched or, you know, listened to on the radio anything like that, because they feel that wow. anything that's dealing with this aspect of things is the work of the devil. So to be a paranormal wow. investigator in this state, it's really, really hard. And a lot of our clients are like, okay, you don't have, like, your name plastered all over your vehicle. You guys aren't going to come in, like, a big television production crew, because they don't want anybody that they work with know that they have something going on in their house. But there are places that are here that, um, you know, if you want to stay, they advertise very openly about bed and breakfasts. Um, there's the old county, um, old Charleston Jail in Charleston, South Carolina. So there are places that are in the area that are, like, breaking out of the shell, so to speak, and letting people know, yeah, we do have paranormal activity, but a lot of it is kept behind closed doors. hmm isn't um, isn't the um, Bible Belt? Isn't it Holy Holy Ghost sanctified um, churches there too? They are, but like I said, they keep things so close behind doors. It, it was really hard when we first started um, getting our group together. You know, we we had members, wow. and we were all willing and wanting to learn and and do what we can to help others. But the clientele was like little to nothing. Now, I, I think more so from people are, are starting to accept, okay, well, yeah, there is something going on in here, and it is really freaking us out, and we need help, that they're finally going out to the resources that are out there. And it's sad to say, you know, I can vouch for my group. We're very honest, and we do not charge, and we do everything in our power to help you. Mm-hmm. And once the investigation's over, we continue to help. You know, I have clients mm-hmm. that I've been helping That's for good. years. But there are so many other That's paranormal good. groups that I call the fly-by-night groups that pop up left yep. and right that hurt those of us like my team and Donna's team and you and David that, that are out there investigating and learning and doing stuff. It hurts us. And so, you know, it's kind of hard. Right now I've got too much. I've got way way too much going on with my plate 
I don't have enough to give to everybody else. I don't, you know, I have nobody here that I can say, hey, would you mind taking these 20 cases because I've got 50 more that I've got to check out mm-hmm. because they're realizing that there are groups out there that are out there to help them and not try to right. rock them blind, so to speak. That's, yes, it's well different all over the country, but because these uh, reality TV shows are becoming very popular now, lots of people are jumping in, you know, for a hobby. Mm-hmm. Some some people it's in their heart. Some people just do it uh, professionally, you know, to help others. So, what do you have any advice for anybody that's new? And now, what I what I'm saying. It, you know, because we can talk all night about, but just this one section I want to ask about. If somebody is new, is there dangers of the paranormal when you're investigating, especially for somebody that's new that really doesn't know what they're doing? Mm-hmm. Could there be? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, 100%. definitely. Absolutely. If you were to become a member of my group, I guarantee you by the time our first meeting if if I have not scared the bejesus out of you, telling you the dangers of this field, <laughs> then I didn't do okay. my part. You know, I that's what I do. I scare the crap out of you. And if you come back to my next meeting, then I know for sure, one hundred percent, that you're in it for the mm-hmm. right reasons. Mm-hmm. But it, you do it rightfully so, because people need to understand that you you can't go out and you know grab a Ouija board and go out and play in a cemetery. It's it's not safe. Thank people, you. Yeah, you know it's like kids playing with Ouija boards and really not. And, and I'm not saying that they're necessarily bad, but the, the general consensus is that they are. And when you go into that with that expectation, you're going to get what you ask for, you know. And if you're if in anything, really, um, I think that EVP work, and Sharon and I have talked about this, is a form of, you know, with a Ouija board, you're asking a question, you want a response. With a digital voice recorder, you're asking a question, you want a response. So basically, they're all kind of the same, but if you go into it with the wrong attitude, and if you think it, it's fun to play around with demons and this and that, you've got a big surprise coming because it can destroy lives. It truly can. Yes, that's that's totally true. Well, that's good advice, and I'm glad that you know you're. Isn't, of course, you would understand it, but you know anybody that's new to the field, you know there's some pretty smart people out there that do their research before they start do, playing around with something like that, or you know doing it professionally, yeah. whatever. But then there are, you know how young people are sometimes. You know, there's a lot of smart young people out there, but, you know, there's some kids maybe, hey, you know what, let's form, uh, I think, uh, you know, Ghost Hunters or something is cool. Let's make a team. Let's go out and start doing it, you know, without finding out how to do it other than what Mm -hmm. they've seen on TV because they don't show everything that they do, you know, behind the scenes on the show or explain it to you all the time. So it's good common sense to maybe... I don't know. I would say try to find somebody that's been doing it for a while. Yes. And then uh, seek their advice or maybe see if they can go on a few investigations and maybe somebody can teach them the ropes before they start, you know, off by themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and there are good teams out there who will do that. I mean, we do that. I know Sharon's team does that. We, we both have had um, a lot of people who are interested in the field come to us, and and when we tell them, a lot there's a big misconception that it, you know what we do is what you see on ghost hunters, and it's not. If they if they filmed a real paranormal investigation, it would be the most boring show in the world. <laughs> it seriously would, because it's a lot of sitting, waiting, repetition. Um, what else, Sharon? It, it's really, it's not what you see on TV, and it, it, I, I'm not quite sure how to explain it, but you're sitting there. Yeah, you're, too. I yeah, think a lot of people yeah. don't realize it's, they're not circus fleas. They're not going to perform because you're there. That's right. You want to investigate, and you want evidence. You could be there That's right. and investigate that same place for 20 days straight, and you may get something mm-hmm. only one day that you're there. That's right. Wow. So I know some of the shows on TV, they do, you know, a lot of talking and, you know, 
during most of the show, nothing really happens. Mm-hmm. And then maybe a couple of the hits that they might have gotten on the show, if you total up the minutes for the hour you're watching it, you're not, you know, Kennedy commercials and then them talking and whatever they're doing, they might get like maybe two minutes of stuff. Right. And that's, actually, that's a long time for, you know, they call it shadow here, a couple of good EVPs there or something like that for the whole night. And they're mainly, you know, focused on that, but they have to show the other stuff to fill up the time. So I imagine if you're in a place and you're getting things, and if you wanted to make, let's say, a half-hour film, you might spend three nights in the house and only show the highlights, and even right. then you'd have to yeah. have more stuff in there. So that's basically what you're trying to say. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It is, seriously, a lot of hurry up and wait. Yeah, but, you know... If it was that easy, then it would take the fun out of it. You know, it would. The challenge and the mystery, and then when you get something, and then maybe one day when you get something, you're totally off guard, something fantastic happens, and you have evidence, mm-hmm. then that must be really amazing to you. It is. It is. It, it truly is. I mean, you know, seeing something, filming something, and you know, I'm an EVP person, so the voices, I... I Sharon, yeah, Sharon, you're an EVP person too, right? Absolutely. I, to yep. me, that's like, you know, absolutely. It's hard proof, to debunk. You know what I mean? It's instant proof. It's right mm-hmm. there, and you're mm-hmm. hearing it. You're like, yes, this is what I'm looking for. This is this is why I do what I do. This is the research that, that I need to prove, not only to myself, but to our clients and give them a peace of mind. Yeah, you've got something going on, and this is what mm-hmm. I think it is, and this is how we can help. Okay, now I want to ask Donna because she's the one that says she had this piece of equipment. Now, you know, a regular video camera, you're not going to really get much in the dark unless it has night vision. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not sure if it matters if, if you're using tape or you know, the new digital video cameras, but uh, if it makes a difference or not. But what about the full-spectrum camera? Can you tell us a little bit about uh, why it's called that and how it works, and why is it full spectrum? The the it, the full spectrum that we have is a, a, a still camera. Um, infrareds they they capture that that spectrum. The full spectrum captures all of the the light color spectrums. Ultraviolet, and all that. right? Yeah, all of them. The RGB, oh. the whole oh. the whole okay. spectrum, and you know one of the and Sharon's seen it. One of the, I'll have to post it one of these days too. One of the best pictures that we got was uh, Laura w- was, you know, like I said, standing there and standing there and standing there, and, and finally said, "You know what? If there really is somebody here, come stand in front of my camera." And then she took another picture, and there was somebody standing in front of the camera. <laughs> and it, it's uh, it's formed. You can see the form, but you can you know, you can see through it somewhat. Um, we we spent over a year trying to debunk that picture before we ever put it out for anybody to even look at, and even to wow. this day we still try. But we're really a lot of people post a lot of pictures, but we're really really hard on ourselves, so to speak. So we, we make sure it's been everything's been tried and tested before we put anything out there. That that's good. Now science is starting to make some breakthroughs with that. I just you know, I read articles. In Russia they already believe, you know, paranormal and ESP and all that and mm-hmm. just and they're believing it here now too. And now they're starting to write about life after death. So I think that in all aspects of the world of the paranormal, you know, uh and also partially thanks to what you guys do that we're making progress. Mm-hmm. And that's really cool. Well, you know, we're, we have less than a minute left, but uh, it's so interesting we can go on for a long time. Yeah. But thank you both, you know, Sharon and Donna, for coming on the show tonight. It was really interesting talking about everything. Is there anything you want to say before we close the show? Sherelle, will you tell me a story? Sorry. <laughs> 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 I'm coming up there to see you. Okay. (laughs) 
but I'm going to stay in the car while you guys go. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> okay, guys, it's been laughed. Thank been you, Sharon. Thank you, Sharon. Thank you, Sharon. Thank, Thank you, you so much, Sharon. Thank you Thank so you much, guys. Donna, for being on the show. Good night, you guys. Good night. Good night. Have a wonderful night. Good night. Thank you, everyone, for listening tonight. You're listening to Beyond the Gate Radio with David Baker and Sherelle Baker. Thank you so much for being here with us. And thank you, everybody, in the chat room for chatting. It was nice to have you here tonight, too. Thank you so much. God bless, and see you next week. See you in the future.